parents. I recognize Parents Weekend, so I want to uh, welcome the parents that we do have here tonight. Um, I have a couple of kids of my own, and so I am uh, finding myself continually more uh, impressed with parents who have their kids in college intact in one piece. <laughs> and so I'm looking at about the next 15 years of my life uh, that you guys are looking through the rearview mirror on. So, um, so I applaud you guys. Uh, and we don't, we don't take lightly that we're getting to, to work with your kids. And so we uh, really hope that we're, we're really helping them along. Um, so tonight, uh, we're going to be continuing a series that we, uh, we've been working on throughout the semester. With, uh, we took a break on it last week, but we're continuing it on. Um, it's a series entitled Written for Our Instruction. And uh, for those of you uh, that are, are new here tonight, or if you uh, just need a little reminder, uh, this series really comes out of a, a, a thought uh, in 1 Corinthians 10-11. Is, am I getting the echo, by the way? Is that sounding weird to you guys? Is that just me? Okay, that's just my ears. All right, just making sure. You know, I hear things. Um, but anyway, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, you see here on the screen, uh, it says, Now these things happen to them as an example, and they are written for our instructions, upon whom the ends of the ages has come. And so Paul, who wrote this, uh, what he's saying here is that the stories that were recorded uh, throughout the Bible um, Although they are entertaining, they weren't written primarily just for our entertainment. Uh, they were actually written for our instruction uh, so that we might learn from them. The reason God chose to preserve these stories over thousands of years is there were certain things he wanted to teach us out of these stories. And one of the common threads you see throughout a lot of these stories in the Bible is just this big idea of how much we really need God in our lives. Um, because he created us, because he is is all-knowing, because he's all-powerful, um, because he's good. Uh, life really just goes better when we uh, do things his way as opposed to ours. Um, and so if, if, you know, if, if you get nothing out of the rest of this series that we've been going through this semester, other than that idea and you actually live your life based on the reality that God's ways are best and God knows best, uh, you, you'll make a lot of progress in life uh, for, the, for the better. Um, but... Our hope is that you will learn more than just that in this series, so we're going to continue this series. Um, so tonight, uh, as we get started, before, uh, before we dive into our topic, I wanted you guys just to take a moment and just kind of pause from, from writing or doing whatever you're doing, or if, if maybe you're just kind of zoning into the conversation for the first time right now. Um, I want you to pause and just think uh, about a couple of questions, um, uh, not, not talking to your partner, just to yourself um, as I pose these, and then... Um, and then we'll move from there. So the first question is this. <clears throat> Can you think of a time when you boasted or bragged about something, and then shortly after that, you fell flat on your face, whether that was figuratively or physically, uh, one of the two there? Um, so think about that for a second. And then another question to think about. Can you think of a time when you acted like maybe you knew more about something uh, more about a topic or a skill um, than you actually really knew, and then when the time came that required you to uh, perform on said skill or task, um, you weren't able to exactly pull it off, and it was kind of embarrassing. Has that ever happened to you? Something that maybe been a test, maybe it was an assignment, maybe it was a conversation. And then the last question. Um, can you think of a time when you thought you deserved a certain position on a team or in a group or in a play or something, or, 
or maybe you did something for someone that you thought probably should get you know, recognized and applauded, and then you didn't get that position, you didn't get the approval, you didn't get the, the accolades, and it kind of made you a little mad because you're thinking, I deserve that. Chances are um, we probably can all think of situations uh, in our life for each one of those questions. Um, and so the question I have is, well, well, why is it that we, you know, all very different people, why can we all think of similar situations to every one of those questions? Like, why, why is there that much of a similarity between everybody? Um, and I think, uh, and, and what I'd submit to you tonight is I really think the reason for that is, is behind the scenes of all these situations, there's a truth that's at work here, and it's found uh, in the Bible in James 4, chapter 6. And it says right here uh, in James 4, 6, 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Every day, each one of us uh, faces the reality of this truth. Um, and depending upon whether you choose pride in a situation or you choose humility in a situation, this verse can be a very encouraging verse or it can be a real warning. Um, because see, the idea that God opposes the proud is more than the idea of just, you know, God's going to think some bad thoughts about you if you uh, choose to be prideful. That The picture is more like if you find out on Saturday morning that the USC football team calls you up and says, we want you to be the new starting lineman for tonight's game. And you go, okay. And you, you, know, you get suited up, you put on your pads and you put on your helmet and you run out you know, in the Coliseum and you're, you're ready to play the game and you, you're just pumped and you get down on in a three-point stance, and then all of a sudden the thought occurs to you, maybe I should like, raise my head up before the whistle blows and look at who it is I'm going against on the defense right here. And then you look up and you realize right across from you is God. You know, mano y mano. It's like you versus him. And so um, I'll save his suspense. That doesn't end very well for you. Um, I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion he's going to win that, that one-on-one battle. And really that, that's the picture when it talks about God opposes the proud, it's you are going head-to-head with God when you choose to take on pride. Um, now, on the flip side of that, uh, it's, the verse can really be an encouragement because it says that God gives opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, to fully appreciate kind of the gravity of, okay, what does that even mean that God gives grace to the humble? I think it's important to kind of uh, define, you know, what, what is grace actually in the first place? Um, Oftentimes, you might have heard in circles, or maybe you even said yourself, you know, that you're kind of a definition for grace that's very common today is grace is unmerited favor with God. Um, and that's true. And, and people tend to uh, typically say that in reference to um, connected to salvation when, when they look at verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. Um, that is absolutely true. However, I think grace is more than just that, though. Um, grace, and I put it on the screen, I think grace is really uh, God working in your life to accomplish what you could not accomplish on your own. Grace is really God working in your life to accomplish what you could not accomplish on your own. Now, that includes salvation because we need grace in order uh, to be saved. We can't, we can't do that on our own, but we need grace for more than just salvation. On the other side of salvation, once, once you've decided to follow Christ, you need grace 
in the everyday things of life to learn how to live life in the kingdom of God, how, how Jesus would want you to live your life. Um, and that really requires a lot of grace. So grace is really, again, God working in you to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. So the fact that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble um, is a pretty big deal. It actually has a lot of implications for your life and for mine. Whether you've decided to follow Christ or not, it still has a lot of implications. Because what the Bible says is that every single one of us was born with, with pride inside of our hearts, and that that's something that's going to be a struggle the rest of our lives. And in life, there are problems to solve, and there are tensions to manage. And, you know, with the problem to solve, and you figure out what the problem is, and then you figure out the solution, you execute it, and it's done. It's over. But with attention, managing attention, that, that's something that doesn't completely go away. And so, therefore, tensions have to be managed. Um, and for humans, pride is actually a tension that we manage. So what that means is on a regular basis, we have to choose humility uh, over pride on just on day-to-day occurrences. And as we do, we get to experience the grace of God. Whether you are a Christian or not, that still applies. And regardless of your background, whether you've walked with God for a long time or whether you're, you've never walked with God at all, um, we, we naturally resort to uh, pride in situations. So we actually have to actively choose humility in those situations. So two, two great case studies on this and, and what we're going to really dive into tonight. Uh, we're going to look at the lives of two kings tonight, King Asa and King Ahab. Uh, we mentioned a little bit about King Ahab uh, earlier this semester, but we're going to talk some more about him tonight. Um, and these two kings, they, they couldn't have started off their reigns any more differently and, and with a the twist, they couldn't have ended their reigns any more differently. Um, both of these kings were uh, kings that, after the split of Israel, when it became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, um, King Asa was, the, was King Solomon's great-grandson. And outside of King David, who was the king before the split, before the split of Israel, King Asa was probably the godliest king that Judah had had up to that point. I mean, the guy really walked with God. And now to juxtapose that, King Ahab of the northern kingdom, um, who began his reign, you know, about towards the end of King Asa's reign, which was about 41 years and started around 910 B.C., King uh, Ahab's reign was probably um, incredibly different, was incredibly different than King Ahab's. He was referred to as probably the most ungodly king and the most wicked king the kingdom of Israel had ever had. So to give you a little better picture um, of, of these, two, these two kings and their contrasting reigns, and then how James 4, 6 that we talked about earlier, how that really played a role in their lives and what that looked like, uh, we're going to dive into to 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings, which kind of talks a little more about their lives. Um, so to start off, we're going to look at King, king Asa's life here. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, it says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, and he smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles, which were basically these poles that were, were set up to, to worship the, uh, the fertility god, the, this false idol that they, a, lot, a lot of these nations were worshiping. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. And he removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah. And the kingdom was at peace under him. 
He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. And no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. So what you're starting to see here is Asa is a pretty good king. Um, as he is humbly choosing to walk with God, uh, not only did he experience the real grace of God, but the, his whole kingdom began to experience some of the grace of God. And then later in his reign, there's, there's a, a people group called the Cushites, and they decide they're going to go to war against, uh, against Judah and against uh, the Asa and his kingdom. And in the Bible, it says that the Cushites, their army, just it, it numbered in the thousands upon thousands. It was this massive, massive army. But rather than choose to either get really scared and just hightail it or to kind of boastfully brag and be like, hey, we could take them, you know. We're, they may be a lot, but we can still take these guys. L- listen to what Asa prays uh, right before battle. He says here uh, in verse 11, he says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let these mere mortals prevail against you. So you see, Asa chose to humble himself in this situation. And then look at what the results are in verse 12 and 13. He says, the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Lord fled, or the Cushites, sorry, the Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. And the men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. So you see time and time again that as Asa chose to humble himself, he really got to experience the grace of God. Um, And those around him also got to experience. But but as I said earlier, pride is is not just a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. And if it is a tension to manage, one of the things we want to be careful of is not to coast and rely on past times of walking with God to think that we're going to, choose, we're going to be humble in the future. No, you have to daily make that choice to choose humility. Otherwise, pride starts to creep in really easily. So before we finish up with King Asa's life and what happened to him, I want to contrast that with kind of the beginning of King Ahab's reign uh, in the northern kingdom. Now, Ahab was the eighth king of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was succeeded or he succeeded his father Omri as king in that kingdom um, short, right around the end of King Asa's reign in the southern kingdom. So you kind of see Asa's finishing up his reign, and then that's when King Ahab kind of comes to power in the northern kingdom. So let's look at his life here in, in 1 Kings chapter 16. It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over uh, it, over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Rehoboam, son of Nebit, who was uh, one of the earlier leaders of the northern kingdom of Israel who just set up all these wicked practices, um, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. And he set up an altar to Baal and the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So as you can see, Ahab was about as opposite of a king as you could get from King Asa at the beginning of his reign. Um, his, and his actions were not coming from a place of ignorance. 
No, he, he knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew he didn't, um, that God did not want him to marry a woman like Jezebel, um, who was not only incredibly immoral, but was a major pagan worshiper. In fact, during her reign, she, she went on a rampage at a killing spree, essentially, of trying to kill all the, the prophets of God so that there weren't any prophets of God in the, in the land of Israel. And the few that were left fled to the, to the caves in the surrounding areas just to guard their lives. Ahab knew he shouldn't have done that. Ahab knew also that God did not want him worshiping these, these false gods, these idols of uh, Asherah and, and Baal. And he also didn't want him participating in these, the detestable you know, the sexual practices that went along with worshiping these different fertility idols. Um, but instead of choosing to humble himself before God, and cho- uh, he, he pridefully chose to say, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and then look at what the results were. So God sent the prophet Elijah uh, to tell Ahab that because of his prideful disobedience, um, his entire kingdom was going to experience a severe drought for several years. So much that the entire kingdom, that there wouldn't even be enough moisture in the air for dew to form and drop on the ground. It was going to be that bad. Um, and since this nation was highly dependent upon an agricultural type society and lifestyle, what that meant was there was going to be severe famine as well. And the Bible talks about that these years, there was a lot of great suffering for not only Asa, but for his entire kingdom as a result of Ahab's, or as a result of Ahab's pride because he had chose uh, to not humble himself before God. So we see, we see the beginning part of these two guys' lives juxtaposed. We see Ahab uh, proving the, the first part of, of James 4, 6, that you know, God will oppose the proud. Um, and then we see Asa living out the second part, that God gives grace to the humble. But as we talked about earlier, again, pride is a tension to manage. It's not a problem to solve. Um, and it's something that if we don't choose to deal with on a daily basis, it's going to slip back into our lives very easily. And so the twist of these two king stories um, is that they did not finish the way that they started. And, uh, and what their stories really show, and what, what, one of the things I want to point out here is, it is very possible for the same person to experience both the grace of God as well as the opposition of God, depending on whether they choose humility or choose pride in a situation. So for Asa, kind of finishing off his story, and it says in the 36th year of his reign that he found himself again in, a, in another battle um, against, uh, against Basha, the king of Israel. Only this time, rather than choosing to rely on God, he chooses to kind of say, hey, you know what? I, I've been in this before. I think I've got this. I'm going to rely on myself and my reliances. Um, I don't think I need God. So he chooses to partner himself with uh, Benadad, the, the king of, of Aram, and decides they're going, to, they're going to tag team and go up against uh, King Basha. And so they do. And they actually win the battle. Um, but because King Asa chose to not humble himself before God and chose to kind of pridefully do his own thing, look, look at what happens here. It says, At the time Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on uh, the king of Aram and not on the Lord, army of the, uh, the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the, throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts 
are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. And Asa was angry with the seer because of this. And he was so enraged that he put him in prison. And, Asa, um, and at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So, so through, Han, uh, through Hanani, God rebukes Asa and tells him basically, hey, you know what, you won the battle, but man, I had a plan much bigger for you. I was planning on also delivering the king of Aram into your hands, but because you chose to not humble yourself and follow me, you're going to be at war for the rest of your, of your reign here. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, instead of, you know, what, what he, King Asa could have done at this point was saying, you know what, you're right. That was, I was wrong, God, you were right, and I'm going to humble myself right here. No, instead, he gets angry, and he throws the guy that tells him this into jail, and then he oppresses more of the people around him. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, as far as we know, for the rest of his life, King Asa never actually humbled himself before God again. He chose pride the rest of the way out. In fact, uh, towards the end of his reign, um, the Bible says he got a really bad foot disease. And one of the last things written about him is here in Second uh, Chronicles 16. It says, though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. So what you see here is King Asa, boy, he started off his uh, reign incredibly humble, choosing to rely on God, and God blessed him. He really experienced the grace of God. But then, because he didn't choose to manage pride, towards the end, uh, pride really got the better of him, and he ended up uh, never choosing to humble himself before God again. Therefore, he never got to experience the grace of God in the remaining years of his life. And I think, that's, what a tragedy. Like, started off so well, ended so poorly. Now, what about Ahab? You know, the guy, he, he didn't start off on, out of the starting gate very well, so what, what happened to him? Um, well, Ahab continued to, to disobey God, even when uh, God oppressed, opposed him with this drought and famine. And it finally culminated when Ahab, at one point, is, is talking to this this guy here off to the side and says, hey, give me your uh, vineyard um, because I want to plant a little, you know, vegetable garden closer to my palace. I don't have to walk as far to get my vegetables. And so um, give me your land. And the guy says, well, no, I'm not going to give it to you. So he goes home and kind of pouts about it. And of course, Jezebel says, well, I'll get you that land. And then make sure the guy gets uh, killed and goes, there's your garden. And, uh, and God says, okay, that's the last straw. Um, so what so what God does is God uh, basically goes up to, to Asa and says, okay, you know what? Or to King Ahab, sorry. And goes up to him and says, um, this has gone on long enough. You know what? I'm going to take out you, and I'm going to basically take out your entire family, and you guys are going to be totally wiped out because you have chosen pride over and over again, and I'm done with it. And then something very strange happens. Uh, something that probably had happened for the, maybe for the first time in all of Ahab's life. He actually cho- chooses to humble himself. And it says uh, in 1 Kings 21, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the day of his son. So because Ahab chose to finally humble himself, God 
graciously chose to postpone the judgment on his family until after his death. But then there was a very, it was a very different ending than what was originally his life was going. And the same is true with King Ahab, um, or King Asa. His life started off one way and ended an incredibly different way. Both of their lives started off incredibly different because of pride and because of humility. Both ended very differently because of pride and because of humility. So, so what, what, what are some of the takeaways from this? What, why, why, was, why did God choose to preserve this story? What, what do we want to learn from it? Um, I think a couple of things. One, I think we can see from the life, the life of uh, King Asa and King Ahab that, that whether you have a history of walking with God or not, pride can be a snare to all of us. And whether you're a Christian or not, um, you still have to manage that tension of pride because um, that's always going to be there. Um, but as we choose to humble ourselves, we can really experience God's grace. And then the second thing I think we learn from these stories, particularly with the life of King Ahab, is that God's grace is available to anyone. Um, no matter what you've done in your past, I mean, it, it doesn't get it probably as bad as it does with King Ahab. And yet, when he finally chose to humble himself, he got to experience the grace of God. So God's grace is available to anyone if we will simply humble ourselves before him. But then that raises the question, okay, well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we grow uh, in humility and, and how do we manage our pride so that we can actually experience the grace of God? Um, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's, that, that is a topic that has some, some real ambiguity that surrounds it. Um, and I think, uh, I think it does because, you know, we, we hear things sometimes or we say things sometimes like, well, if you were really humble, you wouldn't know it, you know. I mean, a real humble person doesn't really talk about how humble they are. Um, and then, of course, there's jokes about people who write books on humility. And then there's, like, full-page print pictures of their face, you know, throughout the book of just in case you didn't know what I looked like. I'm the one who wrote the book on humility, you know, over and over. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's kind of vague sometimes. We're not sure what humility is or, or what that really looks like. But, but ask yourself the question, if God is uh, commanding us to humble ourselves and he wants us to grow in that, why would it be a vague thing? You know, wouldn't he make that actually pretty clear? Um, and I would submit to you that, that humility and how you can grow in it is actually not as vague as people make it out to be. Um, so in closing tonight, I, I want to uh, give you a definition of humility, uh, something to kind of, that you can be kind of work with. Um, and then I want to give you uh, th- three steps that I think you can begin to take if you want to begin to grow in humility yourself. And then after that, I'll pass out my full-length headshots and sign those at the back of the room after. Um, so start off with a definition here, humility. Uh, humility is basically this, having an accurate view of yourself. Humility is having an accurate view of yourself. Not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to, not thinking of yourself more lowly. Um, and humility has nothing to do with personality. Uh, you can be loud and outgoing and be an incredibly humble person. You can be quiet and be an introvert and be incredibly prideful. It has nothing to do with personality. It has everything to do with the extent that we see ourselves accurately, which is really how God sees us. 
And then when we see ourselves accurately, we will immediately realize our need for God. We'll begin to, we'll, we'll immediately see, we, we can't manage our life or our major or our jobs or whatever it is that we're managing. We can't manage that by ourselves. We need the help of God. And when we realize that, and if we ask for it, God says he's going to give that. He's going to give that graciously, regardless of your past, regardless of things you've done before. Now, for some of us, that may mean um, receiving for the very first time the forgiveness, the grace of forgiveness for, for salvation. And for others, it may mean um, grace or something else. But we all need grace, um, which comes from choosing to humble ourselves. So if humility is having an accurate view of yourself, how can you begin to grow in humility? Well, like I said, I, let me give you three steps, and then I'll explain it. Um, now, the ironic thing is, all three of these steps start with the letter P, which, you know, pride starts with the letter P. So in a weird way, maybe you can remember it easier that way. Like, the three things that lead to humility start with P, and so does pride. Um, so let me give you the three, and then I will, um, let me just explain them briefly here, and then we'll be done. So three, th- three steps are this. Never pretend. Never presume. Never push. Never pretend. Never presume, never push. Never pretend. Really, what, what that is, is, is you want to be honest about who you are and where you're at in life. Um, now, that's going to require some training. Uh, it's going to require training to get your body and to get your mind and to get your mouth in a place where you choose to not pretend in situations. Because, see, the pride in our hearts makes our knee-jerk reaction to pretend. You know, we're great at pretending. Um, so what that may mean in different areas of your life is you might have to make fewer statements and ask more questions. Because um, there's things we talk about all the time uh, in life that we know nothing about, but we, we talk about them all the time. Um, I'm guilty of this, just like probably many of you are. You may be in a 10-minute conversation, and for the first minute, you you tell people everything you know about a situation. And then over the next nine minutes, you just tell them things you only suspect, you know. But, of course, you pass it off as you really know it. Um, instead, you can just say, hey, you know, I don't know. Um, and then you can ask some questions, and you can learn. Um, and you don't have to worry about what they think about you because that doesn't matter. You know, what really matters is what does God think about you? And he already knows what you know and you don't know. He already knows where you're at in life. Um, and then also part of not pretending, how we're going to grow in that, is it's going to require uh, that we learn to give credit where credit is due. Um, instead of attributing something you've learned or, or you possess to yourself, if in fact it did not come from you, learn to give credit where credit is due. And when you do that, you're going to find yourself also growing in a thankful heart um, and having a thankful spirit. So, for instance, these three Ps, on humility, never pretend, never presume, never push. Um, that's not my idea, you know. As much as I like to take credit for that, I actually learned that from a much godlier guy um, and a much more humble guy named Dallas Willard, who was a professor here for years and years and years. And I am thankful that he walked with God long enough um, and chose to pass on these things. Uh, so therefore, I'm, I want to give him credit for that tonight because that was not me. So if you think, how would you come up with that? I didn't. You know, learn them from someone else, you know. Um, 
Not pretending will, will take a great burden off of you. Um, just think about all the energy that we spend every single day trying to pretend, trying to posture in certain situations. Wow, how freeing just to not pretend. Um, and the second thing, never presume. Never presume that you should be treated a certain way um, in a certain situation. Instead, I would encourage you to have the mindset that Jesus talks about here in Luke 17.10, um, which is not on the screen, but uh, you just have to take that by faith. It says, so you also, when you have done everything uh, you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. It'll save you a lot of disappointment in life if you take that perspective. Um, because, see, when you're treated poorly, uh, you don't get all bent out of shape because you didn't think you deserved it. You know? And then when you're treated well, you can actually enjoy it because you weren't already feeling entitled to that kind of treatment in the first place. So it's just kind of gravy. It's like, oh, nice. I got treated well. Wasn't expecting that. Um, so never pretend, never presume. And then finally, never push. You want to stand for what's right. You want to stand for, for who you are. You want to stand for, for God. Um, but let him do the pushing. Now, that doesn't mean if you're humble that uh, you're passive or that you, you don't do anything. Um, in fact, it actually means quite the opposite. To be humble means there isn't anything you wouldn't do if you thought it would please God and God wants you to do it. But you let him do the pushing. So never pretend, never presume, never push. If we will practice these things in our lives on a daily basis, guys, um, you're going to find yourself growing in humility. And if you're growing in humility, you're going to experience that God is, is going to back you with his grace. He's going to enable you to do things that you cannot do by yourself. Um, you're going to find yourself enjoying life more um, and, and rather than being opposed by God. And life's just going to go better for you and for those around you. Um, so I'd encourage you um, to begin to put these things into practice. Begin to practice not pretending, not presuming, not pushing. And encourage the people around you to begin to do it too. Because it's, it, like I said, it's, it's a tension to manage that pride. So we really have to work together on being able to do that. Um, well, let me pray. And then we will invite the band back up. And we will um, move forward with the evening. So. Father, I, um, I thank you that, uh, God, there's real reward um, from choosing humility, God, that we do not um, have to just uh, be swallowed up by our pride. We actually have the ability to manage that uh, with your help. And God, that um, just, just the all access that, uh, you really give with, with grace, God, that anybody from any background at any point can experience that um, when they choose to humble themselves. Uh, but God, that, that's, that's a work to really choose to humble ourselves. That takes um, a lot of uh, things in us that we don't naturally have, so we need your help to do that. And we really ask that you would help us uh, to learn not to pretend, to learn not to presume, and learn not to push, and that those would just become... Uh, so natural in our lives that um, our bodies and our minds and our mouths are, are trained to do them before we even think, um, and that we really choose to humble ourselves before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.